Hello. Hey, Simon. <laughs> hey, Simon. It's Skyler. Hey, Simon. Hello, Simon. What's up, Simon? Hello. How are you doing? Hey. Hello. Hey, Simon. Hello, Simon. Hello, Simon. This is Conversations with Storytellers, a podcast of thoughts and folk and fairy tales, wisdom from our elders, and I am your host, Simon Brooks. A meeting with professional storytellers. I decided to travel around the country when I could to interview some of the elders in the community of traditional storytelling, people who, for their work, tell folk and fairy tales, myths and legends. Each storyteller shares their thoughts on our profession and gems of wisdom, and sometimes a story or two. I'm glad that you're here. Aldrina Domar is an elder from the Pueblo people of the Hopi, Tiwa and Laguna. Today, living in Texas, she also spends a lot of time between New Mexico and Arizona. Her close upbringing with her family and the folks around her gives her a deep insight into how story goes so deeply within the Pueblo people in a way I had not realised before. It helped me understand why some first American people do not like their stories being told by folks who are not part of their immediate world and community. This is not just about how deep story is in Aldrina's blood. It's the history of the Pueblo people. We also talk about how Aldrina moved to incorporate this to bring stories of her heritage to others. Welcome to part two. Among the, you know, whether it's Canada all the way down into um, Mexico and Central America and all of them, you know, so much of who they were and what what was theirs, even though they didn't have an ownership thing, they they knew they knew where they knew what belonged to different ones without borders. You know, they just knew you don't go beyond this border because over there lives these people and they're not nice. Or you can go this way and they will, you know, they're nice. We, we, we carry on, um, you know, we can do things together. We share things together. They already knew that about each other. You know, they, they, they knew that. And um, so people knew who they could go to to get help. They knew where they could go to to get a certain kind of uh, crop or um, gemstone or whatever. They knew where to get feathers if they needed feathers for a particular thing. They knew that already. They had they had traveled so much of this land. They knew where every you know the people lived, um, and and I think every tribe from from North America, all of the tribes that that came to live here, um, they knew of each other they had crossed each other's paths and you know the cool thing is is how they communicated you know they probably had the the language the different sign languages that were universal how they figured it out don't know but i can just imagine what they would have to do with their body language with their um you know even carrying weapons you know, what kind of weapon are they carrying? You know, they probably aren't could figure all that out, even in their hair, the way their hair was done. And maybe even in the um, the paint that was on their faces and on their bodies, they already knew who to approach and who not to approach. You know, so they and, and not only that, but probably the, the people that were the uh, the nicer people that they could communicate with they would tell the stories of the people that they had encountered and where they were located and stuff like this. So I could just imagine all of those things being being done, but yet they respected, it sounds like they respected each other's uh, ways of, of, of who they were, their traditions and their cultures. And so when the, when the, uh, the people started to, the immigrants started to come into this land uh, from the east and from the west. You know, I I could just imagine them coming to a, a beautiful, a beautiful piece of land, and and finding these rivers and lakes and and the and the 
the food source that was here that might not have been where they came from. You know, it was serenity. Right. It was peace. It was, you know, and can you imagine their heart beating, thinking that this this land didn't belong to anybody? And, ah, you know, we didn't yeah. have anything back then to call our own. But look, you know, we might be the first people here. We can claim this as ours, you know. Right. Yeah, and, and the Western Europeans weren't really renowned for their respect for other cultures. I mean, yeah. you know, his, historically speaking, yeah. Yeah. you know, it, it was all about invasion and take and, you know, yeah. and, you know, even when it comes to a lot of the cultural and even religious stuff, you know, it was like, yeah. well, what, what, we, what, we, what we can take, we will, what we can't, we'll integrate with what we already have and, and mm -hmm. make it ours, as it were. Yeah, and... Um, and so it's kind of like, but little did they know, the people, you know, just kind of blended in with the land. So they were there, they just didn't see them. And, right. Um, but they, well, didn't realize, they didn't realize that the abundance that was there already belonged to a group of people. Yeah. And even when they did find out that it belonged to a different group of people, they, they had such a mentality that they felt like, you know, even though this land belongs to you, based on what I see of you, you guys don't have any weapons that's going to affect us. Um, right. you, don't have, um, you don't have houses that will, I mean, it can, they can easily be destroyed, you know, right. the thing. Um, you know, th there was so much. Yeah, you don't even wear proper clothes. What are you doing? Right? Yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> we got shoes on type of thing. Yeah. But what, what they didn't realize, what they didn't realize and, and why they relied so much on the people that lived on this land is because the people had lived on this land for so many years, hundreds of years prior to them even coming, yeah. that they already, they already knew um, the weather, how the weather works. They already mm -hmm. knew where the lakes and the waters were, where the food source was going to be, and how to get clothing from that food source. Because yeah. a lot of them were coming with their leather shoes and their, you know, their cotton clothes and hats and everything like that. And, you know, unless they were Vikings or something, they were not coming with, with animal clothing. Right, so yeah. Once those clothes went, and for the elements... You know the capes aren't going to help you. You know they're no. gonna, they're gonna... <laughs> yeah, well, they were. Uh, I know, and it's like, you know I, th I think about that with some of the eastern the eastern people, you know, who would make clothing out of birch bark. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, well, you know, did I bet the Europeans had no idea how to do that? Yeah, and and even when they looked at it, they probably thought, what clothes yeah. out of trees? You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> type of thing. I know. So it's crazy. Yeah, and let's, then, let's let's talk about your storytelling. Yeah, it's you know, but you know, getting, getting back to the story part of it though, that's that is the important part of remembering um, how we even got to this place. Because right. traditionally, that is a part of our raising is right. uh, from the time we were little, uh, whenever we would come together around the table or either. Uh, sit in uh, in a living room. It was usually around a table because the table always had everybody's uh, a place for everybody to sit. Mm -hmm. There was always room at the table, basically, yeah. and that's where the stories were told. But the stories of how we how we became um, or how we got to where we are today, those were always in, uh, taught from the very long, young age, and that was one of the things that was uh. encouraging me is that they said, Drina, we don't know who you're going to marry. We don't know where you're going to live. But whoever you marry, wherever you go, make sure that it's a person that is not stingy with you or your children. And I asked, what do you mean by that? And they said, well, some people marry, uh, whether it's a, a male or a female, and those people don't want, don't want our children to come back home. Um, they, they, because they don't, they don't want to get to know who we are. And so they don't want, they don't want our boys and our girls to come back to us. So they're kind of stingy of them. 
and I, I never understood it until I actually witnessed it and um, heard about it. And so anyway, I, then I knew what they were talking about. So when I, I married a non-Indian person and, um, but one of the things that I had mentioned to him early on is that uh, I'm going to go back to my people. I'm going to go back and visit. Um, I don't want, I don't want you to ever hold me back. And if we have children, I'm going to take my children back home to visit um, my family. And you're always welcome to come with us. But if you don't want to, I understand. It's okay. It won't, it won't bother me. But, um, but this is what I'm going to do. So it's kind of like early on, I established, this is what I'm going to do. So if yeah. you're going to fight me on it, you're going to fight me. <laughs> you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna, you're gonna have a fight, basically. And yeah. fortunately, early on, early on, um, I mean, well, and he never, he never has ever uh, interfered with that. He always thought that was important because what I learned about him is that he didn't know anything about his people. He didn't know anything about where his last name came from because my husband's last name is McMinimi. And so um, I, that was the first thing I asked, where does your name come from? Where, what kind of people do you come from? He had no idea. He said, Texas. And I said, well, <laughs> basically, and, you know, which is true because yeah, his yeah. father was born and raised in Texas. His mother was born and raised in Texas. He yeah. was born and raised in Texas. So he comes from Texas, basically. And so I said, yeah, but where does, you know, your last name, McMinimi, what people does that come from? And, and where did they come from when they came to the United States? He had never even, he never even wondered about that. He never, wow. all he knew was that he was, he was a Texan and that's all he, that's all that needed to be known, you know? Well, and I think that's the same with most Texans, isn't it? I'm a Texan and that's it, period. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you know, but you know, I, there, I remembered having some negative thoughts about that. But now that I have been here long enough and I have met a lot of people that have been here, they are, um, they, they are some, they are some different kind of warriors, you know, that are needed, that are needed in, in society, even though a lot of times they're looked upon as negative, but who they are and what they have held on to um, is very similar to what my people are holding on to, you know. So there's those similarities that that um, that we learn from each other. But anyway, that's that's cool. kind of huh. how that all began. So yeah, so that makes that makes total sense that that, that that you know this is you know our conversation we just had was it's it's the backbone, it's the basis, it's the pedestal on which the stories sit, rest, mm -hmm. reside. So yeah, I to I I totally get that, and I stand corrected. I hang my I hang my head in shame, <laughs> and I have learned something. And I have learned something today, which is really good. So, um, the people that that you heard stories from, who was that? Your dad's side of the family, or was oh it your mother's side, or was it everybody? Everybody, everybody, yeah. and even people that came to visit my dad and my Saya, because there were many people from different tribes and different parts of the country that came a long ways to buy my dad's kachinas and my Saya's pottery. And not just my dad, but a lot of other artists there at First Mesa and Second Mesa. They, the, the tourists knew who they wanted to go see, who had they, um, who were their, um, their artists that they loved to buy from. So whenever they would journey to Arizona and make a trip to First Mesa, they already knew um, who to go to, or if they didn't, they would ask, I'm looking for this kind of thing. Do you know of anybody here that makes it? And then my Sayan, my dad said, oh yes, you need to go visit my relatives, such and such. And um, I think as a matter of fact, I think they already have some made. So uh, tell them that we sent you. And of course we had no signs at that time when I was growing up, it was kind of dirt roads and not paved roads. Um, 
They're still like that in places. When, when my wife and I, we went to Arizona a number of years ago, and we're like, we have no idea where we are. And we didn't have, like, <laughs> yeah. GPS. We didn't have GPS. Yes. Like, and then when, when you stop a local and ask them, you know, we're looking for this place. Do you have an idea where they might be or live or where we can find it? Oh, yeah. You know, you're going to drive down here. And, of course, you hear those stories, too. Yes. <laughs> you're going to see the only tree, the only tree that's on your right-hand side. Well, just pass it a little ways. You'll see a different road. Take that road. Yeah, yeah, because we, we, were, we were in Hopi. At this particular point, I talk quite at length about a particular story that happened to me, which, although bears some relevance to what we were talking about, you don't really want to hear. Um, so we're going to go straight back to Aldrina. Uh, right, exactly, exactly. That, that was just one of the things that I remembered, my Sayan, my dad working really hard, uh, her having to travel to go get the clay and, on foot and carry it back as an older woman and prepare the clay for many, many uh, days, weeks, whatever, before she could even work with it. And then once once you mold it and then you let it dry and then you, you polish it and you sand, well, you sand it and you polish it and you paint it, and then you got to go outside and get all the materials that you need to bake it because you bake it on top of the earth. And um, it, it sometimes- Really? Can, on, yeah. on top of the earth? Yeah, and so what the what the potters do is they have their place where they always bake, and mm -hmm. um, they will have a little spot there, and then they build, they get what the what they need, and then they put their pottery in it, and they have to place it just right. I mean, they know how to do it, and then they they cover it up with either broken pottery or other things that protect oh. it. and they they kind of mound it. They kind of keep building it, building it, and then they put put manure around it and then they um, put you know uh, the wood to start it and then the manure heats up so hot that that's what actually bakes the the pots and so, oh, wow. so you have to be careful not to do it on a windy day or you know no cold fronts are going to be coming through I mean it, you have to know the elements when you're working uh, with pottery and baking it outside and then you're not promised that you're going to get what you put in there. And right. that's the hard part because many of them, many of them will open it up and there's either they've broken or there's cracks or, you know, there's all kinds of things. And this is their livelihood. And so many a days did I watch many potters not get back the pots that, that they put in and they have to be okay with it. And my Saya always used to tell me, Whenever you're, whenever you're making pottery, if something is bothering you, maybe you're mad at something, maybe, um, maybe your thoughts are on something else, you're anxious, you're stressful, whatever, don't work on your pottery. Put it away. Go take care of whatever is bothering you and then come back and work on your pottery. And I said, why, Saya? And she said, because... When you're making something with your hands, you're putting, you should be putting all the good stuff in there because yeah. it's not going to, it might not stay with you. It may go to somebody else. You don't want to pass all that stuff on to somebody else. And yeah. so you always, you always do things with a good heart and a good mind and in a prayerful state of mind. So that way you don't know who's going to get it, but whoever gets it is going to get the best of you. And so um, I remembered her saying that, and um, I, I always wanted to become a potter, but I didn't stay there long enough to learn um, how to be the best potter I could be. Uh, and so, um, but I remembered that, and I took her word to everything I did, whether it's cleaning the house or somebody saying, can you come and help me over here? Well, you know, if I don't really want to do it, I need to tell them, um, can you find somebody else? Because I'm my mind, you know, I'm just not feeling. And so, but if I do say yes, then I've got to make sure that, that I'm right. You know, that I'm giving my best and I'm, I'm helping with a good heart. Not, not being grumpy about it. Right. Yeah, yes. Not complaining not... and not everything. Yeah. So anyway that but that all goes back to story you learn those things through a story 
And so she told me something that has lingered with me uh, all the way to now. I mean, I still think back on that. And I can still see her sitting in her little spot, working on her pots, putting on her little glasses, you know, in all of this. And she was just a simple woman. We had a twin bed that my dad slept on. And then she and I put blankets on the floor. And that's where we slept. And so... In one of the stories that I tell about um, growing up with my Saya, I said, you know, I asked my Saya one time when we were sleeping, how come dad gets the bed and we have to, you have to sleep down here on the hard floor with me? And uh, he, she said, shh. And I said, why shh? She's, and she was whispering to me. And she said, because we're women, we are strong. We've got strong backs. We can sleep on the floor. Your dad, he's a man. They're wimpy. Give him the bed. And my dad said, <laughs> and my dad said, um, Shah, he said, I hear you. I'm not wimpy. And my saya said, wimpy, wimpy. You know, and so, so we were just right there in the same room, you know, just not too far from each other. So these, um, these Walton conversations took place every night, you know. So, oh, that's yeah. so beautiful. That's wonderful. That's, yeah, I like that. <laughs> but anyway, those were the things that I, I grew up with. And that's why that's why even though my Sayan, my dad did not have much, they had such a, a richness of story. They surrounded me with art that I didn't even realize the artist that I was in the midst of. Um, they had history all around them. Um, the land was uh, in the in the eyes of the beholder that didn't live there. It looked like barren land, but to us that played and walked the land, it was full of life and it was not barren to us. And um, anyway, most people are seeking serenity like that, and here I was growing up with it the whole time. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of people I think that would give good money to have that kind of serenity and that kind of peace. And mm -hmm. to be away with the distractions that surround us all the time. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I have a question for you. What, what do you think about non-First Americans telling First American stories? Well, you know, if it's in, the, if it's in a book, mm -hmm. I would tell them to really, uh, really look at the source. If it's... Um, because I too have looked at books just to, just out of curiosity to say, you know, what what did these early writers write about us, Pueblo people, mm -hmm. um, whether it was Hopi or Kewa or you know any or even other other tribes, mm -hmm. and was in particular the ones that went back to Hopi land. Um, one of the things that I noticed in a lot of the early writings of these. Uh, ethnologists, linguists, archaeologists, everybody, they were they were scrambling to be the first to get these stories written down or, or recorded mm -hmm. so that they can get grant money to fund something else that they wanted to work on. And so the museum uh. or the museum or the people that were funding them said, you know, so it was a matter of who can who can do this first, because then everybody just scattered throughout the country and they went you know back east up north down south that you know all of these different tribes that they were scrambling to to go and and get their story down and some of the things that i read about it it sounded like they did it in such a way that because they thought that eventually the people were going to be no more that the the all of the tribes in this country were gonna were gonna be no more. And, oh my gosh! And so um, they were wanting to get all of their arts and crafts, their clothing, their their stories, their songs, their weapons, their everything they were collecting for museums and mm -hmm. uh, bringing it back to these museums uh, to hold on to, so that when the people died off then they would have something to say these were the people that lived here at one time well they did that with the stories too 
And so many a times when they went to go get these stories, the people said, we can't tell you these stories. These are, these are our stories. These are not to be, these are not to be um, given to the outside world, to the world right. outside of us. These are our stories. These are, um, they could be, uh, they, some of them were very thought of as powerful stories. They were only told during a certain time. They were only told, stories. Yeah, they were only told to certain people of the, of the village, you know, not everybody had access to these stories. Um, the, these stories would not be told to children unless they, uh, came up, they became of age. So um, you, you didn't haphazardly start talking about something because the kids were not to the point where they had that, they were, they were given permission to have that knowledge. So then you have all these linguists that have no idea about that. They have no idea. All, they, all they're looking at were the, the people that were getting the stories. They had no idea. All they wanted was a story. They didn't know. Stuff. They were yeah. collecting stuff. Yes, yes. And so that's yeah. how they were handling it. It's just a story, you know, to yeah. them. It's just a story. And so when I was reading some of these older books, what I was coming across was this person, the author, went to this village, but nobody wanted to give him story. And he stayed there long enough to befriend people they realized that in order for them to get something, they had to live there long enough to find someone <clears throat> that they could befriend. And many times they did. And so when they did, um, they would say, I know somebody, maybe my uncle will talk to you, or maybe my grandpa will talk to you. <clears throat> Let me see if I can talk to them. And then what would they what they would find out then in uh, and they would write all this down in the book. Basically, mm -hmm. they would have to find some place far enough from the village that they would not be seen going there to talk to this Anglo person. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, it happened at night, under the shadows of darkness. The 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 teller of the story would come with the person that was befriended to go to the house of where this man was living and and they would do it over and over um, and so this man would get all these stories from this person but the person would never be mentioned and neither would the person that brought them they were considered informants so right. whenever you see that terminology informants, that means that they did something that they weren't supposed to do. And so everything is hush hush because they could get in trouble if the tribe knew or their or their village knew that that was happening. And right. so basically what the informant was told then, because sometimes it was written down, they were in they were informed, they were told that these stories would only be used and, and written down for the preservation um, of his people, her people, but nobody would have access to it because it's gonna be in the archives of a museum. And way back when, you know, those things were not just open to everybody. Right, yeah. Specifically for the use of uh, a university or for a museum and not the world didn't have access to them. And so, okay, so, you know, moving forward now, storytellers, authors are going, there, there are some treasures that we're discovering of stories that were written down like hundreds of, you know, so many years ago and nobody has tapped into it. And so they're, they're yanking them all out because they want to put their name on it, even though they did not gather the stories, but now they've right. discovered the stories. Yeah. And so now they're putting it out there as legends and myths and folk tales. And so as I'm reading this, <clears throat> in a way, I'm, 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 I'm in mournfulness because I'm thinking, 
either the person that gathered the information knew exactly what was going to happen to these stories and they lied to them or they had no idea that today's society was going to discover these things and put them out there in print for everybody to see and so when that started happening the tribes throughout the country realized people are making money off of us off of our stories that were yeah. really never supposed to be out there in in the beginning and so now you come to them and say oh do you have stories you know they're withdrawing yeah my, my cousin's husband yeah my cousin's husband um you know he's he's a lot older than i am he um he said that uh, he's he's on the west coast and his grandfather uh, lived he, originally i think he was from oregon but he, then he moved down to california and then moved, and he he went back to teach ken um his medicine um he's a medicine man and one of the things that ken has said is that some of these um peoples when they would you know when these later collectors of stories would come they say oh yeah yeah we'll tell you some we got some stories and they would just make stuff up and they would just tell them a good story and it's it's yeah. not a, yeah. it's not a myth it's not a legend it's just yeah. a story that somebody made up yeah. which i so, find is fascinating as well yes and so even so today you know but what they don't realize though and this is one of the things that i tell people is even for myself um if people want to tell me a story i'll say to them i'll stop them and i and i'll say is this story um is this story going to be okay to tell outside of here or does it need to just stay here and if they say it needs to stay here then i'll say then don't tell it to me now don't tell it to me um and and i said because what whatever enters into your mind it stays there and actually yeah. in time you forget you know what you're not yeah. supposed to and what you are okay on but i went back to one of my uncles one time because when i became a professional storyteller and people were asking uh schools were asking me to tell stories you know animal stories and all of this festivals that's kind of what they wanted and all this and um but they were doing it throughout the year and i knew that our stories especially the animals stories were were done in the winter time not throughout the year so i asked my uncle really so, yeah so, but, so the animal stories are not supposed to be told in the summer either correct and and it's just uh -huh. among, it's just among certain people not everybody uh -huh. because right. i i have met other tribal members throughout the united states and and they tell their stories their animal stories all throughout the year you know they don't have a certain time that they do it but um in in among our people that's when it is done and I, I thought to myself, well, that kind of makes sense because whenever you start telling stories, especially about the animals, you know, um, everything st slows down to listen. And in springtime and summer, you don't yeah, want anything to slow down and listen because you got so much work to be done. You know, if you're going to tell it, you're going to slow everybody down when you start telling stories because everybody wants to listen and then they don't get the work done. And so anyway, <laughs> so I thought, well, maybe that's one of the reasons, but I asked my uncle about it. I said, uh -huh. now, uncle, when I go out there, this is, this is what the rest of the world does. But I feel bad because I know that we're not supposed to be telling the stories, um, the animal stories during that time. I said, so what do you think about that? What, what do you think? And, and I, I love this uncle because he was a, a very wise person and he would always invite me to come to his house to tell stories to his family and i said you know i said that's, that's an honor. And he, said, he says because you're the only one that they will sit still for ah, whenever, whenever Enti and i try to tell them stories they don't pay attention they're getting up moving all around but when you come and tell stories they will sit here the whole time and they listen so when we know that you come home, we always ask for you to come and tell us stories. And so um, when I asked him about this, he said, he's thought about it. He said, let me think about this and, um, and then I'll give you an answer.
And so finally, you know, he told me, you know, okay, I thought about this and I, I realized that out in the world, the people out there, especially to the children, maybe they need to know these stories because, um, because of what they teach us. But so what I'm thinking, he said, is that when you're out there among the people, they don't know about our ways. They're, they're not who we are. And so they don't know anything about our ways. They don't work like we work. They don't do the things that we do. And um, so maybe I think that you can go ahead and um, share the, those stories with them because those children probably are gonna need to know them and some of their adults too. So I think it's okay, but when you come back home, then you live the way you live by how we live. And I said, I understand that. And so that's what I did, but I still felt uncomfortable. And so it took care of itself then, because when I started to travel, stories started to come to me to be written down. And so, really? Yeah. So today, a lot of the animal stories that I tell, I've uh -huh. written myself. I, they, so, haven't, they haven't been in book form yet because um, I don't know how to do that. But, um, <laughs> but so, so these, yeah, so sorry, these, a lot of the stories that I tell are from me that I wrote. So these are stories that, that you have created yourself. These are not, right, got it, okay. Yes, yes. And that way there aren't any taboos on them. Well, yeah, because I'm the writer of it. So I get right, to right. <laughs> when I want to tell them. But and yet you're, you're bringing your culture to these stories. You're exactly. bringing your knowledge of your culture and your exactly. ancestry to these stories. Exactly. And, and, and creating these stories that are, are safe. I don't need safe is not the right word, but are okay to, to share with other well, people. Well, it, 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 speaks, it speaks to who I'm going to because, you know, the children, well, not just the children, but even the right. adults sometimes wherever i go places and i see how life is living being lived um maybe there's um there's a lot of love and happiness but there might be anger and aggression and all of this and somehow i don't know what happens but somehow a story will just come to me to speak to that and I say, okay, hold on, wait, 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 wait. Let me pull over and let me find something to write with. And so I'll pull over and start to write down the gist of the story. And then when I get back home and get to my computer, then that story just kind of, uh, it's like, you know, that foam stuff that you spray and then it just kind of yes, blows. Yes, and yeah. Uncontrollably, you know, <laughs> that's kind of what happens. I'll start going and i'll say boy this two sentence three sentence story sure did involved into three pages of a story type of thing so the, the story wrote itself then yeah so anyway that's, so, that's awesome but the the cool thing about it all is that i have to ask myself is this how those stories were written you know is this how the writer of many of the stories that we have today from long time ago, did they come from a person like myself? Yeah, they, the priestess, right? The priestess of the village, right? The goddess who, who accepted those stories that was the, yeah. the, the receiver. Yeah, right? I don't know if I'd call myself a priestess though. <laughs> I, I, maybe I, I would become, I, I like the, the educating uh, part of the aspect of it, you know, the teaching part of it, passing on of a, a a thought, a, a way of being, a way of thinking, yeah. you know, stuff like that. And I'm really in tune with what you're saying because um, certainly about the way of life, you know, that your, your uncle was saying that they're, they're not part of this way of life. And, I, and when, when you were saying that, I was thinking about the books that I've got on Australian Aboriginal stories, right? And that way of life to me is is completely alien, right? I, 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 I've never been to Australia or New Zealand. Um, I've, you know, I've, you know, I used to watch Skippy the Bush Kangaroo on television when I was a kid growing up, which I don't know if you ever had that over here. Yeah. But it's, you know, sounds, it's, sounds cool. Sounds it like was, it was, it was a, 
it was a fun TV show, but I imagine like if I went back and watched it now, it would be horrendously uh, <laughs> racist. <laughs> Um, but, but, you know, it's living in in the desert life that they have. I mean, you know, you read some of these, these stories of the, the the Australian Aboriginal peoples and the, the environment they were living in was so harsh that you can see that reflected in the stories. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, and I've since heard, you know, that, that there are certain stories that you just don't tell if you're not aboriginal australian right um but it, it's like that whole thing of comfort right i don't feel comfortable telling those stories and i keep going through these books like i want to find a story from australia because you know they're part of the commonwealth right you know colonialism and uh you know i i feel that it's that this is this is a side of culture that i i don't have in my repertoire of stories mm-hmm. But I feel uncomfortable about it. Even I'm like, maybe I could do something with this, and it's like I can't. I don't want to. And when I when I came over here to the states and heard about a lot of these stories, Native American, First American stories that are considered sacred, and many of the peoples don't want their stories told. And there are, and I also know that there are a lot of people who are, you know, First American people who are fine with their stories being told. You know, I can't. I haven't differentiated those yet, mm-hmm. and so there's there's one story that I tell, which um, which is a Seneca story, which Joseph, which I found in a picture book, and it was written by Joseph Bruchet, and I had a very long conversation with Joseph before he said, "All right, you can tell that story, but you can't record it and you can't write it down." And I was like, "Yes, sir, absolutely, sir." <laughs> um, and I I just don't feel comfortable telling those stories because. You know, my my culture is is European, and I there are so many stories I can tell from that culture. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's there's part of me that that at least wants to know those those other stories of those. I mean, if I was to point up onto my bookshelf, you would see that there's there's a number of uh, you know f- books on First American stories, Navajo stories, and um, and others that that I've collected over the years because that was that was my first step mm-hmm. into to stories after European stories. Um, but yeah, I totally hear this, that, that, you know, we shouldn't just take stories because, you know, like I said, I want to build my repertoire and I need some Australian stories. That's not the way to do it. I don't think, I think we really need to listen to, listen to our hearts and our souls and say, this, this story isn't of my culture. Um, I don't feel comfortable telling it. Therefore I shouldn't. Right instead of trying to justify it, mm-hmm. right? Japanese stories, um, you know, any story from, from you know, the, the from Asia and that, that area, you know, that there are some amazing stories there. And I'm, I'm very comfortable telling those stories, which is very odd. But I also want to make sure that I'm being respectful of them. And so I, I do a lot of due diligence and I you know I read a ton about the subject and about the culture and I'm not an expert by any manner or form but it's like it, it's it's something that I think we all tackle with do you I mean do you tell European stories or do you just tell your own uh you know you, I was I was thinking about this when you were when you were speaking um what I do and what I enjoy doing mm-hmm. is um sharing I, I enjoy sharing the people I have met and some of the stories they have told, especially if, um, if, if I buy books from my storytelling friends or either if I ask permission, can I tell that story to my relatives? But what I like to do is I like to share them with my family members back home to so that they can see and or they can hear what type of stories are out there in the world. Because when I first became a personal, uh, pro- a professional storyteller, first of all, I didn't even know there was a profession. And I thought, what? You guys found a way to organize stories? <laughs> well, I, I had no idea. And you so, make a living doing this? <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I was doing it just because that was just who I was. I, I just grew up hearing stories and I told stories. I had to rely on stories to get me out of trouble. You know, so I became really good at that. You and me both, sister. You and me both. 
so it's kind of like and then but i always knew that um that my dad and my saya knew that i was telling them a story because they would always use the term i think my dad would always say it's it's a you know he'd always use that term it's it's a and it was kind of like oh yeah it's kind of like oh my this little girl type of thing uh, so it's like i knew that they knew that i was making they knew my story so when i found out about that this there was a profession it was it was shocking to me and it took me a very long time it took me two years to be to 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 gain a firm foundation about i i am still an educator but i'm going to be educating differently i'm going to be teaching through story and so i had to I had to figure it out in my mind what it looked like in order for me to go forward with it. Uh, because I felt like, you know, traditionally, you know, they didn't come up to me and say, oh, you're, you look like you're going to be a storyteller. So here, let us, let us train you up to be a storyteller. That didn't happen to me. It was just who I was and what I did. And somebody saw that in me outside of my people. Yeah. And, um, said that this is what we do we need a person like you i said why and uh the president of the texas storytelling association that i met at the university here at uh, in canyon not too far from me um he said because there are storytellers here in the state of texas that tell american indian story stories but they're not they're not native american and so they're telling these stories in schools at universities at festivals but they're not and so what happens then he said is the children assume that since that story is coming from them that they must be american indian because that's yeah. how little kids look that's how little kids brain looks oh we right. heard a story from we heard an american indian story from an indian today oh you did and then you know that was never probably that was never even said but in their mind that's what they came up with All and right. so um so he was saying that we need you because we need a person that grew up among their people you you lived on the land you were surrounded by the people you're talking about the kids need to know that your people still exist because today a lot of them think that the native american people are gone and dead they're just in the history books that they're reading about but they don't exist and so i i discovered that whenever i went out anywhere somebody would raise their hand and i said yes you have a question said did you say you were uh indian i said well i'm yeah i'm a pueblo indian are you sure and i said mm, yes and they said because I thought that all the Indians were dead. And I said, oh, and I said, well, come here. And they, you know, this was a while back when I first started 20 some years. I said, well, come here. And they'd get up and come look at me. And I said, well, come shake my hand. And they shake my hand. And I say, now, now touch, touch my, touch this right here. And I point to my, or just point somewhere, touch this. And they would touch it. And I said, well, I said, am I dead? And they said, no. And I said, well, then we're still alive then, you know? Uh, and so anyway, they would just smile at me and they just turn around and it's almost like, I got to touch her. You know, yeah, yeah, right. That's what I'm thinking. I got to touch the storyteller. Yeah. And so, um, so then uh, that's when I started to realize, oh, now I know what he's talking about. Now yeah. I know what he's saying. If, and even some of the teachers, they had no clue about the pueblo tribes because all they had yeah. heard about were the the plains indians the kiwas the comanches because they were in this area and that's all they knew they never even knew about their neighbor in new mexico and many of them were going to the skiing places in taos and santa fe but yes <laughs> they had no clue that the people around them were, were pueblo indians and so yeah. then i realized okay i'm still the educated now i just have to do it through story i have to use story so today when i first started out i told a lot of personal stories and then also animal stories 
Then I started to write my own. And now what my interest is, is history. Um, Native American women out there that, and, and just history in general, Simon, every time I came across a story, my heart, my breath would be taken away because I said, where were these stories when I was growing up? Oh that my gosh, yeah. I, yeah. At Laguna Acoma High School, where the majority of us were Native Americans that lived right there, we were learning history from people that we were not a part of. We were learning history from a land that was so far away. And we knew our history because, of course, like I told you, we were taught it from the very beginning. We knew who we were, you know. And so, you know, but where were these stories about this woman, about this man, about these people, about this, um, about this pilot, about this, you know, whatever. And just recently, I, I was, I was, I, I met a family in Oklahoma and the man just passed away and he broke, um, what was it called? The, um, oh, the sound barrier as a pilot. Oh, no way. Never been heard of him. Never heard of him. And here I am talking to his granddaughter and she's uh -huh. telling me, oh, by the way, I don't know if you ever heard about, but my, my grandfather, this, he was a pilot back and he went to school and his teacher told him that, you know, uh, cause he was always daydreaming and she got onto him for daydreaming and said, what are you daydreaming about? Tell us about it. And he told the class cause she, she was making a mockery of him basically. And uh -huh. so he said, okay, well tell us what you're daydreaming about. And he did. And it had to do with you know, one of these days he was going to be this. And she just laughed. The kids laughed. And, he's, and she basically said, oh, you're, you're never going to be that because you're never going to leave this place. You know, this is where you're destined to be, basically. Well, he goes on to become this wonderful pilot. And, and no one's heard of. <laughs> yeah, nobody's heard. Of, and he was even on What's My Line, that one, that one TV show. Yeah. He was on What's My Line. And... Um, when he passed away, uh, somebody had already did a video about him, a, a little short video about him, and he was telling his story and they were showing his pictures. Never even knew that this thing was even available. And so, so we learn about all these things about people either when they're dying or when they're dead because it all comes out in their obituary. Right. And, and that's the part where I, I want to go and sit down and and hear somebody's story and tell it while they're still alive rather than when they're gone. Um, because, you know, there's there's just so many wonderful stories out there from people. And uh, of course, my interest is uh, of the different tribes here in the United States. And if I can ever get up to Canada, you know, I would love to to go and just hear their stories and um, yeah, right. You know, there's just so much, you know. I don't have that much time in life, and so maybe when I pass you got on, left. come on. <laughs> so when I pass old. on, you know, I can I can wander all over the world <laughs> quickly <laughs> in spirit. I can go here and there, and you know. But yeah, anyway, then you, then you tap into somebody else to get yeah, those stories yeah. back to them, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, but you know, crazy... with, uh, Simon, we were talking about. Um, uh, telling the stories and, and what is written down in books today. I came across a woman that is not Native American, but she helped a lot of Native Americans back in her time. Her name is Angie DeBow, and not very many people know about her, um, but the people of Oklahoma, they know about Angie DeBow. Uh, she was a great, uh, uh, oh, a great researcher, um, this woman, when, when I read her, her book, um, one of the things that I, I walked away with is she said, nowadays, people that write, um, you know, that are doing research on something, they use other people's words that are already written in a book rather than going to the source and getting it themselves firsthand. Yeah, right. 
they they and some of the firsthand people are not living anymore and i'm sure there's another way to go about doing it but that was the reason why she was so well liked among the american indian people of oklahoma they some of them would go to her and seek her out and tell their story because of the way she handled them and this story with respect she did not take anything that wasn't given to her and she was a writer that went to the source if she wanted to know about the osage people she went to the osage people if she wanted to know about the kiowa people she went to the kiowa people and she um and she knew how to respectfully she knew how to respectfully walk with them and then uh get to the point of where they trusted her and she never broke that trust that's the thing about it is that she did not break that trust what she said was what she did um and she was not all in it for money because a lot of her books didn't really become that great until after she passed away um she she was a great writer but one of the things that she said what made her angry was when all these writers would write these uh, documentaries or articles or books and they used all these other sources to write but they never went to the source itself themselves and so yeah. you get this overlapping of information that has already been written by somebody somewhere and that's why I think about the Native American story. If you went to the source, if you want to tell a Comanche story, it's easy to go to a book. But if you're really serious about telling a Comanche story, you go to the Comanche and you stay with them a while. You gain friendship and you keep that friendship you show them respect and you keep that respect you don't go there for self-gain right. unless they give you permission it, unless you tell them right up front i'm writing a book but i don't want to get a story from the books that are already written i want to get a book from the people themselves i want to get a story from the people themselves yeah then you're being taken serious and they will tell you well, come back next year because right now I'm going through this ceremony and I can't speak on anything right now. So come back next year and I'll be ready. You might have to wait that long, but yeah. that's what we expect you. Right, but, and that's 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 showing respect for the people that have the stories and their culture, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you can't. Yeah, it, it's you know it goes back to those you know cliched stories of of people heading out east and you know mm -hmm. and, and sitting outside some some Pothitsva's door for like three years before they open the door and say okay come in for a cup of tea and we'll have a five minute chat and I'll tell you a little bit about what I know right yeah yeah it's all about that dedication if you can prove your dedication and your seriousness about mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. then yeah people yeah I, yeah it's um so yeah. a lot of like even when I enter into historical stories like um one of the stories that I like to tell about this area is a man by the name of Bones Hooks he was an African-American cowboy way back when. And the flowers behind me that you see here, mm -hmm. um, I told I his do. story, I told his story several days ago on Zoom. And so I talked about it. But these flowers um, have something to do with his story. And but how I entered into that story, because I never met Bones Hooks myself. He was already gone by the time I came into this area. But the way I introduced him was when I was a teacher up north in Amarillo, I used to, after work, I would try to get to know the neighborhood that I was working in. So I would go down different residential streets and everything. And one day I, I was going down this one street and there was a park there. And I said, huh, I'd, I would have never known that this park was here if I didn't venture off. And the name of the park was called Bones Hooks. And in my head, I'm thinking, ooh, what happened here that they called it Bones Hooks? You know, oh, that, so, yeah, that name would get me excited, that's for sure. Yeah, and I'm thinking, I wonder how this came to be. But I kept going, and I never thought anything of it. I felt like eventually I would find out. 
And so I never even thought about asking my peers back at school. Well, when I started on the storytelling adventure uh, in Canyon, we had a, I went ahead and produced like a, a week long of storytelling with at a little cafe. Um, the mother and daughter owned it and they were, they were excited because I was going to do five days of storytelling. And so the people could come early and have soup and sandwiches and then an hour of storytelling after that. And I kind of uh, grabbed people that I knew that were storytellers. And then they referred me to people in the community that were great storytellers. So I contacted them, told them about it. They said, yes. Well, one of the women that lived in the Canyon area, she came in and she brought these um, white flowers and she placed them in a vase right in the front where we were gonna be telling stories. And I thought to myself, oh, she brought her own set design, you know? <laughs> and I wonder how this is gonna, what, if this has anything to do with her story. So uh -huh. my mind is already getting geared up. I wonder what it is. Anyway, she told the story of Bones Hooks. And I said, oh, that's who he is. I didn't know this was a, a, a human, you know? And so she told, she was the first one that I had ever learned the story of Bones Hooks. And then eventually, it's just the funniest thing how he kept entering into my pathway. He kept, his name kept entering into my pathway. And one day I said, okay, I'm going to have to share my knowledge of Bones Hooks with the world and what little I know about him. And there's so much more about him that could be told. But the way I entered into that story was how, how it related to me and my walk. And then I bring in Bones Hooks into uh, my journey in this world. So uh -huh. that's how I brought in a man that I never met, but I only saw, you know, but he kept entering into my path. His name kept coming across. So I finally said, okay. Yeah, stories do that. <laughs> They're sneaky. Yeah. They'll come and tap you on the shoulder, right? Yeah. <laughs> hey, he's probably going, hey, young lady, I heard you're a storyteller and you see a lot of people that I, you know. Yeah, you. right. Maybe, yeah, maybe that's a true thing. You know, maybe he's, he knew that you were the right person to tell the full story. The, yes, the, I don't the know. The real story. Yes. You know, or, the, or at least the story he wanted people to hear. <laughs> yes, the, the story that he wanted. Because he, you know what, at his, in his day and time, what he accomplished as a uh, African-American young man back then, you know, working alongside with other Anglo uh, Caucasian cowboys was unheard of. And he was looked upon as one of the great cowboys. And um, that's a huge untold story of African-American. And I imagine um, first American cowboys as well. Yes. Right. And that's I mean, one of my has... next journeys. That's one of my next things I want to do for the long, probably about 15 years ago, I got the idea to do just that. And I haven't had the opportunity to, um, it, the door, the, the door hasn't opened yet, I guess. When that door opens, <laughs> then I'll know, okay, now I can, now I can venture in. And, and what I've realized as a storyteller is that sometimes we don't know when the stories are going to be okay for us to tell. But when, when we do know, we will know. We will yeah. know. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's been an absolute joy talking with you. <laughs> Audrina, we've been chatting for a long time. And, oh, I know. And You're going to do a lot of editing. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't think we need 15 minutes of our ironing, but it was, yeah. <laughs> if that's what got you nice and calm, then that's that's, that's all good. Um, thank you so much for doing this. I so appreciate it. And uh, thank I, you. I, I hope our paths cross in the, in the near future now that yes. the country slowly starts. I hope you learned a lot in these two fascinating conversations. Look up Aldrina's work, visit her website, and learn more about her and her work. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, be sure to check out other episodes. And if you think I should interview a certain folk and fairy tale myths and legend storyteller, send me an email. You can find me and my work on Facebook, Simon Brooks Storyteller, and on my website, simonbrooksstoryteller.com, and on Instagram, Simon M. Brooks. 
Diamond Scree. Yep, that's me, the English fella and storyteller. A shout out to Chris Jett for creating and recording and letting me use this wonderful piece of music he created, especially for my podcast. Thanks, Chris. His band is called Blackpool Mecca. Check them out. And they have a new album coming out very soon. You can keep this podcast alive and support my craft by becoming one of my Patreons and paying anything from a dollar for an episode that you enjoyed to a regular monthly subscription. In return, you get extras, early release, and exclusive content on my work. That's www.patreon.com forward slash Simon Brooks. If you can't join my wonderful tribe of patrons, then please help me out by doing something you can do. I'll be very grateful if you were to leave a review on Podbean, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, wherever you find this episode. It doesn't take long, and it helps not just me, but others find and enjoy this podcast. Thanks again for being here with me. I know that there are a lot of other places you could be, and I appreciate it. Until next time, be healthy, be happy, and share the stories you love. Cheers. Just a story. story.